Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 of the Leadership Window. I am Patrick Jinks, certified leadership coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. And that's what you're going to get today. You're going to get the Jinx Perspective, but you're also going to get the Pittman Perspective today. Mark Pittman is our guest. Uh, earlier in the year, uh, well, last year now, wow, 2020 is now last year. Uh, last year, I established a goal to read a book a week for the entire year. I want to read 52 books. Uh, I did not achieve that goal. I fell short. I think I ended up with 30 something books. Uh, but here, as we started the new year, I got a new book to read and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, rub it in, in our listeners face just a little bit and say, I got to read it before most people got to read it. And it's called the surprising gift of doubt. Now, first of all, as I say that, don't you want to read that book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt? I have the author on our podcast today, Mark Pittman. The book releases March 23rd. It's available on uh, on Amazon as a pre-order and on Mark's website. We'll give you all of that. Uh, and we're going to talk about the book and we're just going to talk about leadership. Mark and I have known each other for, I don't know, five or six years now. And back when he lived up in the godforsaken Northeast part of the, um, country, and now he's down here in God's country. He's actually now in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, just a hop, skip and a jump up the road from us here in Columbia. And, um, Mark and I see each other and come across each other in some shared space in the nonprofit arena. His company is Concord Leadership Group, and uh, I'll let him tell you more about that and, and the name Concord and sort of where it comes from. But he's been leading organizations and teams for decades, uh, well over 30 years. He's got a master's in organizational leadership. He is, he's got about 27 certifications. Um, and by the way, so one of them is we've had a lot of Maxwell coaches on the show. Um, Mark is a Franklin Covey coach, a certified Franklin Covey coach. And so it, perspective, very interesting, very unique. But yeah, Mark is certified. He's a member of the International Coach Federation. He is a certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association. He's a certified uh, expert in virtual presenting. And so I'm really building this up. Mark, you have to show us this, all this talent and all this certification as you present here virtually on our podcast today. Um, I could go on, read his bio on his website at conqueredleadershipgroup.com, but uh, he has been coaching, as I said, for decades, organizational and leadership coaching. He's helped tens of thousands of nonprofit organizations. He and I share that passion and that mission. He has helped them meet their revenue goals. One of the uh, things that people know Mark as is the fundraising coach, and you can't see him um, over the over the airwaves here, but he is wearing a bow tie. And if you see him out in public, he's probably wearing it. Although right now it is untied. I will say that Mark, I'm like, this has been uh, super exciting. Uh, been really anticipating this episode and talking with you and getting to let our listeners listen in on some of the awesome, rich conversations we have. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Definitely. Uh, I can't believe you told everybody my ties untied already. Well, I mean, you know, you're getting you're like, somewhere like, yeah, you're getting loose. You're getting ready to like, let's, let's dive in. You know, let's enjoy it. It is five o'clock somewhere. Uh, it might be <laughs> for people listening to this. It might be midnight. Who knows? That's uh, whenever they want to, whenever they want to do it. But yeah, I have been excited about this. Uh, glad and proud to know you. One of the things, um, Mark and I do is we refer each other a good bit. <laughs> so, you know, Mark's got his areas of sort of, you know, specialties or niches and I've got mine and. That's the the thing that I've loved about, I think, South Carolina, but certainly the whole sector, Mark, is there's a number of us in this space. And we've we've learned, I think, how to really collaborate with each other and complement each other and share each other and work together. And I don't think we view ourselves as competitors or rivals in any way in the space. There's plenty of work to be done. 
and you do fill a very unique space uh, in the sector. And I just think, um, you know, as, as rich as, as Greenville and South Carolina are in the, um, this kind of expertise and resources for nonprofits, um, you really did lift the game when you arrived here and started sharing what you bring to the sector. So I do appreciate that. And I'm going to just open this up to you for a, a few minutes to just let our listeners uh, get to meet you a little bit. Maybe talk about, in fact, I, I, I'll, I'll do this. My head is too big. I don't know if I can fit it into this. I know. <laughs> into the I'm audio to, uh, cha- do you have a wide angle lens on your, uh, on your zoom video there? I'm going to do letterbox it right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to refer immediately to your book. Uh, the surprising gift of doubt, because uh, one of the sections in the book is about stories and the stories we tell ourselves. And you've got a section in here you call stock stories. And I'm going to read directly from it. And then I'm going to let you tell one of your stock stories. It says, have you ever noticed that when you introduce yourself to people, you lean on the same set of stories to give them a sense of who you are? You probably have a story, you know, will get laughs, for example. And you probably have stories that explain how you arrived at your current leadership role. So I'm assuming since you wrote that, that you have a story about how you arrived at your current leadership role. I'd love uh, for our listeners to hear about it. I'd love to learn a little bit about it. Uh, how did you get to Concord Leadership, this space, this passion, this gift you're delivering to the world? Kind of walk us through how it came about and what it's all about, and we'll learn a little bit about you along the way. Well, you're letting a uh, verbal, expressive, and former pastor just have the mic. That's a little scary. It's so all right. You have the mic. I have the controls. I was born at a young age. My parents' names were mom and dad. And as time went on, you Um, grew older. I got it. (laughs) But yeah, part of so part of what happened with leadership was um, the. I remember at sixteen making a decision to never be dependent on one income stream. Mm. Um, So even as a as a teenager, I was trying to figure out how am I going to be able to do multiple things and not the things that I necessarily saw my parent, the parent, my parents, or my parent uh, friends' parents doing. So Gen Xer, you know jobs were being like, people were being let go after for no reason of their own. So I just, leadership just seemed to be something that needed to, I just needed to take ownership of that and not be a victim, uh, which is weird. But part of it could be because I had homework as a pitman. So I was, um, had homework for school, but then I also, because I was a pitman, I, my parents assigned me homework. I had to read Norman Vincent Peale. I had to read Dale Carnegie. I had to listen to Zig Same Ziglar here. and Brian Tracy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was just sort of like part of what you do you know, um, as a pitman. Doesn't everybody get homework with positive motivational speakers? And, yeah. You <laughs> and are what you books? think you are. And you can if you think you can. And if you exactly. don't, who will? We will see you, and I mean you, at the top. <laughs> I can't right. do this, uh, this, the uh, Mississippi accent, but I can do <laughs> I could do the phrasing. Um, so that was just part of the culture that I grew up in. And uh, that it, it was actually one of the funny things about leadership was I went to uh, a college where it was in the Northeast and I thought, okay, I'm a freshman at college. I can actually take a year to just coast. I don't have to lead an organization. I don't know anybody here. Um, I don't know any of the, any of the, the, the structures. Two weeks into my freshman year, a senior was tapping me on the shoulder saying, Hey, I just started the student group and I want you to be one of the leaders in it. I was organizing meetings and buildings, buildings. I didn't even know where they were on campus with upperclassmen. It was so bizarre. So um, I've taken that. It was just, I love leading and leaders. And, and one of the things that my wife and I found when we lived at a boarding school is that we gravitated to these, the students that were leaders. We really liked being with them, hanging out with them, helping them, just be more effective. And we thought we were cheating in our role as faculty at this boarding school because it was not hard work. It was fun. And we thought we should probably have to go to the, the problem students or the people that are having real, real crises uh, until somebody reflected back to us that those, are, just like it is in adult life, in student life, the higher you go in leadership, the less supervision you have. And so they, you don't obviously, we are grown up in organizations where we have layers of supervision, but we're not, uh, the more we're getting trusted, the less supervision we have. More autonomy. So have somebody that can be that trusted, just, yeah, you're not crazy or, uh, you know, you, maybe you should have done this a different way is a huge relief to leaders. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, th- that was a very fun part of my kind of discovering, oh, wow, I think resonating with leaders of all different levels is good. I love emerging, working with emerging leaders. Um, but the, the flip side of it was 
as I grew up, uh, I knew I needed to eat. So <laughs> getting paid was important. And I fell into work at the school I graduated from the college and uh, loved the admissions aspect of helping people discover their purpose, helping students figure out what the next step on their journey is, not necessarily where the end of their journey would be, but what's the next step. And um, the development office, the fundraising group, uh, my mentor, Bob Grinnell said, you get to have those conversations with donors forever. They don't end when they decide what college to go to. So uh, two years over, I made a, a, a lateral move over into development and found, found a real passion of translating the sales and goal setting stuff that I had learned growing up to a nonprofit values-based mm. context, mm. which was just amazing. Um, and, and I found in between, I get to do that with businesses now is take those values that I learned in working in nonprofits and bring the values and humanity back into some of the business processes that um, the business processes that may be needed by the nonprofits, but uh, it done at the expense of values really harms people. And just to so, be clear, and, and I may not know yeah. this, are you focused like exclusively or almost exclusively on nonprofits in your, in your consulting work, or are you really kind of all over the place with it? Is nonprofit sort of the mission bent? All over the place has a sort of scattered feel to it, but yes, no, it's um, I, I work with, with, I like the type of leaders I like to work with are leaders that are, aren't full of themselves right now. They know they have a way to grow, but they're willing to do the work to grow. Yeah. So mm, it good. doesn't, it, you know, sector doesn't matter. Uh, and that's part of how Concord leadership group came about, you know, from being coach trained and, and doing coach training is you have to niche, have a niche, yep. find your niche. So in 2003, when I went through Franklin Covey coach training, before I got off the exploratory call to see if that's the certification program I wanted, I had registered the domain, fundraisingcoach.com. Nobody else was using it. It is self-explanatory, implied ROI. It was an expertise I had. And and it was something I'd been te teaching people and I've been public speaking professionally since 1999. So it was, it just felt right. Um, but uh, the what it, I didn't realize was I'm a mission, vision, values kind of guy. I'm not a fundraising kind of guy. Mm. Um, although I love fundraising. I think it's the most enjoyable thing. My, you know, I've written seven books on how to do fundraising well. But um, the, as I got into fundraising coach, it started becoming very clear that the path I had projected myself on was pulling me away from other, from people. It was niching down into a, a smaller and smaller, entire and narrower space. Mm. Plus I had board members coming to hire me, CEOs of startups, CEOs of other companies. And they kept telling me, look, I need your leadership help. And you're not helping me by having only your only bio being on fundraising coach. Um, and so I know it's for any of the business leaders out here, if you have paying clients that are giving you information, it after a while, after years of hearing it, it does sink in like, oh, maybe I should take this as part of my, my market research. Maybe I should take some clues from this. So when we moved to, to Greenville, we are able to start Concord Leadership Group, which is a group of brands. It's Nonprofit Academy, which is low cost training for nonprofits, fundraising coach, which is specific for boards, executive directors, and development directors on how to ask for money effectively, particularly major gifts. Uh, the first book that I wrote was Ask Without Fear. And then Conquer Leadership Group, which is more of the boutique. I specialize in organizations that are probably maximum of 65 staff. There seems to be a part of from between startup and 65 or people that you really it's the, the the dance starts changing. You need to have some more organizational structure. So some of the early people feel like, well, you're getting too formal. You're getting too rigid. Uh, the CEO is usually getting really overwhelmed, not just overwhelmed, but really overwhelmed because it's not just payroll, but it's HR law that they didn't expect to have to deal with. And they're, they need a COO or they need an HR expert or they need somebody else, but they don't know how the revenue is going to justify it. It's just at that cusp of that that growth stage, that's where my sweet spot is. That makes a lot of sense. And I've, I've been through some of the same um, deliberations in my business, you know, early on when you're a solopreneur and you launch this thing and the, what, the, what the experts tell you, and it makes sense is you do need an ish. You got to find, you know, you can't just be, oh, I'm a speaker. <laughs> I do stuff. You know, I'm a hey, great, talk. yeah, I train, I talk, <laughs> I say neat things. Um, and you know, you, you, you sharpen it and sharpen and you want to be that person or that business that people know this is what they do. And when you need this, this is who you go to. On the other hand, 
there are um, there are a diverse set of needs and nuances to some of these things. I mean, when you talk about being a leadership, a, a fundraising coach, well, that's leadership. I mean, dealing with donors Absolutely. and convincing and influencing them and organizing your work and strategize—it's all vision, <laughs> goal setting, framing, whole, making sure that the mission is understood yeah, in a different aspect. It's speaking, all leadership. Yeah. So it just happens to be here in here's how it applies to the fundraising world or here's how it applies to the military world or here's how it applies to you know a quasi governmental organization or a small business leading a startup team it's leadership and um so but uh, yeah when i had real estate agents bring me in to talk about goal setting and time management even though i was still fundraising coach and when i had bank executives say could you teach us on customer service yeah yeah there that's when it started it started helping me to see that these are it's human stuff yep that's right um, that's right. It's not not necessarily niche specific. Yeah. Human stuff. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's I mean, a technical term. That that's is an term. industry term. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing. I'm going to see if humanstuff.com is taken. I'm right. That is cool. <laughs> uh, I don't buy real estate, but I do do register a lot of URLs. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to refer back to that term here in a few minutes. Human stuff. Um, okay. <laughs> Mark, give us the, so I do want to talk about the book just because it's fresh on my mind, having just read it and I know mm. it's being released and I want to make sure that our listeners have availability to it. Cause this is, uh, you know, this is, you've gone through the whole, whole process of, um, through your publisher of getting this right. And, and I, I, you can tell Thanks. when you read it, it's just so well done and it's so well framed, but I, maybe you can start by just sharing with us the premise of the title of the book. I mean, the surprising gift of doubt is obviously hugely intriguing. Um, and just listening to the title, I can, I, I was imagining, okay, what, what might this book be about? I think I get it just by listening to the title, but eh, not, not quite so much. I, I learned a lot through the book, but tell us about the premise of the book. Why this book? Why this title? Well, what I find with working with leaders is that most of us are blindsided by the doubt. Um, we think there's this model of leadership where at some point you'll arrive. You'll, you'll figure it out. Things will be mo moving and, and uh, you know, firing on all cylinders. And there's just this confidence and this self-assuredness. And often when you look at people around you, that's what they project. And I don't think people are being disingenuous, but what you see mm, is people good. seeming to make good, that's right. make confident choices. Um, so what happens to a lot of us is as we get removed from that level of supervision and we're trusted more and more to our own devices um the the kind of that whisper of doubt and the inner critic the imposter syndrome can be really really strong and without guidance without understanding that a bigger picture it can make us feel like we must be something there must be something fundamentally wrong with us mm -hmm. i've talked to so many well-intentioned and gifted leaders who who part of the reason they're coming to coaching is because they really feel like their company that they started or the nonprofit that they founded or the organization they're in might be better served by somebody else being the leader, not them. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they have so much humility and, and uh, just maturity to be able to say, maybe I'm not the right person for the position, but they also are so beat up mm -hmm. by external forces and internal forces. But a doubt I think is it, it, that just surprises us. The surprising gift of that is it forces us if we're if we're allowed to. I mean, we could be broken, and that's there's a wonderful help in uh, in our world with therapists and uh, counselors, and there's some really good in medicine, pharmaceuticals. There's some really good help for people that are broken. That's totally that's a legitimate aspect, but it could mean that we're on the verge of greatness mm. because the doubt could be loud enough to for us to finally stop just looking for external cues for our our solutions and actually explore what makes us unique what makes our organization different and learn to trust some of the some of the unique voice that we might have in the world as a person or as an organization uh, and that's that's where i think it's a really the surprising gift because you realize if i hadn't had that doubt i never would have crossed the chasm and started doing some of this hard inner work to see how am i different uh, I would have just kept trying to bounce around from seminar to webinar to podcast and, and copying other people and not getting it right and feeling like I'm, I'm break broken again. Man, you, uh, the term, a term you used just a second ago, and I'm, I'm trying, I don't want to lose it, but then I was listening to the, what you said after the term, uh, when they, when they've, what did you say? They've either stopped looking or they've run out of the external cues 
Yeah, um, they're uh, the gift. I'm, I'm probably at the gift. Yeah, they're external cues. Most of us in our leadership journey look to externals. Yeah, for solutions, and that's how we're trained. Right. Uh, right. we, we go to school, uh, and there's a teacher telling us what to do. Parents tell us what to do, and it's not a bad thing. Again, I don't. I I don't want to sound like that's negative. I think organization is really good. <laughs> I think the structures that we have can be very helpful, but they tend to, um, the, the unspoken message I really believe we have is that the answer is out there. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of in here, that's what, right. that's what really got me about that is that the, the surprising gift of doubt, what it does, see if I see if I'm understanding you right. Yeah. Is that it forces you inside. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of, one of the, the great tenets of coaching obviously is that it's about, it's not about the coach telling you awesome things. It's about the coach drawing out of you what you don't realize is already there. And so what, for example, one of the, one of uh, my favorite questions and most coaches, one of their favorite questions is what do you think? Another one is uh, what else? You know, so when, when a leader, and those aren't cop-outs, like they're, they're not, when, they're, when they're you forcing you inexperienced people do it. It sounds like a cop. That's right. But it's not, it's actually really good. There's so, um, if you're in my office, you'd see the, the, uh, pin art, the, I don't know if you ever played with those toys where you could put your hand yeah, yeah. and the pins would, would push, th- push and make a the 3d image, image. Your, your yeah. hand. What's that? And make a 3d image. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I call coaching. I say consulting is pressing on the top of your, there's pressure on the top, but there's no imprint being made. And when the hand leaves, it's still all flat pins uh, because they're, you know, and consulting is very helpful. It's helpful to have a grid. It's helpful to have a structure. There are times where you just need the formula. Tell me what to do and will force me to do it. But coaching is really coming from the inside and using those pins to make that 3d image and pulling up so that when the coach leaves, there's a new impression and it's, you know, it's all internal from, from the coachee as it is changed. Yep. I found that, I don't know yep. how you came to coaching, yep. but I found that with nonprofit work or my career, the consultants that came in seemed not as interested. And this speaks more to the consultants we hired than consulting as an industry, but they didn't seem as interested in helping me grow as an individual as they were more interested on in getting results, which that was their focus where I wanted to grow as an individual. I'd grown up in a family that believed in self-development and self-improvement. And I believed that the better I got at being me, the better I could do my work. Uh, and it was stumbling on light. Well, not stumbling. Weird family. Uh, when we, when I got engaged to the woman who's uh, my wife, uh, my parents got us six months of Zig Ziglar success coaching. We were still in college and we had six months individually. So I had a coach, Emily had a coach. And which was helpful for her because it got her onto the like understanding the vocabulary my family had been swimming in for decades. <laughs> uh, but it also helped us to think about our individual selves and then what are, what are we bringing together and what is this thing, this marriage going to be in the decades going down the road? So from that one experience of coaching, which was more formulaic, but still really helpful, I happened to have some good life coaches and they made me better and I got better at my work. So I think that's a lot of... They were asked, they didn't know fundraising. They didn't know nonprofit management. They didn't know a lot of things, but they knew people and they knew leadership or they knew different aspects that they were able to pull that out of me and help mm. me to reframe some of the things that I was offering. Oh, that's good. And, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, constantly uh, introducing myself as a coach, not a consultant. And I, you know, I even sort of make reference to it on our website about the difference. And there, there, there was one place where I was and I was kind of making that differentiation. And there was a consultant in the room who came up to me afterwards and says, man, I, I feel like, I feel like all bad inside now. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> he goes, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not a coach, I'm, but I'm a consultant. And it dawned on me. I was, I was really probably not framing it well. And I've learned how to frame it better. There's not that one is better than the other. Right. It's that they have different uses. They're different tools. And so I define a consultant, for example, as an expert in a field that you hire to come in and and assess, make a set of recommendation, bring that bring that expertise from experience and knowledge and research and and apply those. A coach doesn't do that. So when I'm working with a client on strategic planning or whatever it is, I'm not coming in saying, all right, so uh, you're a housing organization. Here's what you need to be doing. I don't have the first clue how to run a housing organization. My job as a coach is to draw that out of them. So I love your That's imprint. Good. I love yeah. your imprint uh, example. Um, 
I, man, I've got so many things about the book and I'm sorry to just dwell on just the book. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. And, uh, but I just, I, there were so many things that just jumped off the page at me. And you said the term human stuff a minute ago. <laughs> Here's an example in your book. Uh, you don't even, you don't even know where I'm going with this. There's a section in your book, uh, that says the motivation is within you. That's the, the, the sort of subsection and the first, um, area that you cover is stress, that leadership itself is stressful. And you refer to a study done by the center for creative leadership, which most people in the leadership arena know, know very well who that is, uh, a study by CCL that discovered the top sources of leadership stress. And you identify in the, in your uh, deal here, you identify the four top sources of stress on that study, customers, direct reports, peers and bosses. And here's what immediately jumped out at me. All four of those customer direct report, peer boss. They're all people. They are not circumstances. The, the stress is not, we, we lost a, we lost a major grant or we, we know we're having to tighten, you know, we, we've got a lot of employee turnover. There's stress around, well, like COVID is a stressor, right? That, that big, yeah. the, they're a big stressor. But the top four sources of stress are not circumstances. They are people, <laughs> human stuff. And so I thought about when you, that's why that's when you said human stuff, I thought, oh, that's exactly what to call this because that is the big leadership challenge. And I know I'm jumping into a whole new topic here already, but it's great. But what, you know, t- talk a little bit about um, that is, that is the job of a leader is people. That is the work. It's not projects. It's not mission. It is the job of a leader is people. And yet that's, of course, because that's the job. That's where all the stress comes from. Um, I, well, don't I don't know. Stress, I don't even I think know what my because, question is. That's just a, oh, it's just oh. an observation in your book. I'll let you talk about it. Well, no, I think that's, I, I, I love the brilliant, uh, observation that it's human because I hadn't, I, I, I hadn't gotten past the, I've been teaching this for years, uh, the CCL study. And it, I just think of the researchers they there. They set out to find the one stressor. They wanted to find the one thing that they could mm. most you know leverage to alleviate stress for leaders. So to find four must've been so disheartening because <laughs> it was all equal statistically. Um, but, but you then could sum it up in one. Well, that's true. It's human. You've There's, summed it up. Yeah. You've totally. Number one reason is stress circle. humans. Um, I think part of what it was, Jay, I think Jamie Smith, who uh, used to be the executive director of the young, pro, young nonprofit professionals network said a, in an interview that I did with her, she, she just, kind of put career paths on a, a continuum that made sense to me where you get skill skill accomplishment is what gets expertise is what gets you noticed and recognized as a as an employee and that puts you into management roles but the skill expertise doesn't keep you as a manager you need to learn people skills because that that there's this whole new level of leadership that you need but then when you get in the senior office it's no longer just being good with people skills. It's also about casting the vision in a way that people and influencing people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that I just, I think it's, I love that you said it's human stuff because as influence, I, I define leadership as a being of influence. I, I think there are people that have um, titular leadership, like they have a title and there are other people that are just leaders. Uh, people refer to them, Seth Godin calls them sneezers. You know, they're the people that everybody turns to. Um, and they are, uh, as we, as we grow, I don't know that there are as many places for people to learn the the people skills or value it. Well, we call we call them soft skills. I mean, for years growing up, I heard heard these were the soft skills and I'm like, why are they called that? This is the hardest stuff. This is hard. This is the actual (laughs) essence and the job. This isn't like some side little thing. I, I always I always struggled with the term soft skills when it came to leadership because it, it it's the human stuff that they call the soft skills. That is so good. That's yeah, not and, what that is. Yeah, and meeting people where they are and knowing that they're safe, helping them feel safe. And uh, one of the things that I've learned in uh, in part particularly with startups is that there's so much. Well, whenever there's change, helping as I'm a 
there are different stances of people and I'm an aggressive stance. I live in the future. I make, you know, the future hasn't been done so I can create it and change it. And it just never occurs to me to not think that anything is possible. So I love living in the future and changing things, but leading an organization, I need to be able to know that there are other people that live in the present uh, dependent stance. And there are people that are, live in the past, which are withdrawn stance, just instinctual. So to remind two thirds of my organization, what's staying the same really helps settle people. Whenever there's a change, here are the things that aren't changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I'm working with an organization right now that is going through that growth stage I mentioned of needing to formalize some structure. So they're trying to articulate the values of this is the stuff that makes us us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there'll be different C-level, C-suite will be a little bit bigger. There'll be some other things. You might have to report to somebody more than in between you and the founder. But here's what's true about our company still. And I, I, that reminding humans that this is what makes us different is is such an important part of leadership that doesn't get checked off usually. There's not usually a, an evaluation of, he really remi- you know, <laughs> reminded me that yeah, we're human. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's another thing you say in, in your book uh, that relates to this. You say that not every leader that comes to me needs to start in the same place. And this is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. meeting people where they are. And in this section of the book, it it struck me because it, it, it in some ways is not an indictment on me, but a, certainly a caution. Uh, and that is about the the value of a system, having a system. I'm a big systems person. People who you know watch my YouTube channel or listen to that, they know I love frameworks and visuals and models. And I have a system for strategic planning. I call it the coaching continuum. And it's a system I know works. I have a system for board retreats. You know, like you have a process, you know, certain things are going to work. And, but there's a caution to that. And the caution is it can't be a one size fits all system where you can't adapt and meet people where they are. And I've, I've learned over the years to go into some of these board retreats and things and start my system and realize immediately this ain't going to work. Not with this group, not today, not right now. And I've had to learn to pivot and shift and let the conversation go where they need to go with that particular group. So my, my question for you, and I am curious as to your thoughts on this how do you how do you balance the two of knowing mm. yes i've got researched practices and processes and systems that i know work and there's reasons why they work and they're proven over and over and over yet at the same time as you said not everybody comes to you in the same place or needing to start in the same place and meeting people where they are how do you teach leaders to strike the balance between having a, a reliable uh, proven system and going with the flow Oh my goodness. That is a beautifully worded question because the systems help you not have to redo the work. Um, If you make a decision once and and it's a system, then you don't have to keep re-examining the situation uh, for donor processing. If, if there's a thank you, a system lets you know, this is, this is how we handle thank yous for the, you know, you don't have to ask for each donor. How do we do this? But what the adapt, I think for me, I stumbled on this because the adaptability part, because I just took it for granted that I was doing all the research. I'm a nerd. I love studying. I love, and I have found that when I share what I've studied, people catch it in a different way than they had when they read it. So that was just, I just understood that I would never just say something without having the research that I could cite for it. Um, Not everybody is like that. And I didn't realize when, when people would come to me for coaching, I wanted to know as a good coach, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? And let's help you get there. Um, and so I assembled upon on this in the early 2000s with uh, Ask Without Fear. Like I wanted to, because fundraising is a leadership thing, I wanted to express, to help people be better leaders because I knew that I could then tease out the better fundraising principles from that. But it's more about the inter- internal conversation you have about money. And it's about the, uh, the understanding of how nonprofits work and that you're not begging that donors are part of the mission if you're in a nonprofit. So I wanted to work with donors on that. They didn't want that. They wanted their the funding to be raised. So actually articulating a four-step asking process, I, it was shocking to me how much that just reduced their stress, their anxiety, mm-hmm. because there was a system. Um, and then I was able to, free, free to freely to say, you don't need the research step. You're, you're kind of stuck there. So let's skip that. Even though that's the first step, we're going to skip to the third step because you've already done the first two. Uh, so the other, the other thing with systems are that sometimes systems can get confining. I found a lot of leaders that like to 
want to have, what should I do every hour of every day? What's mm-hmm. my plan? What is my system? You know, what's the system for me to be the best leader I can be? And the minute they set up that schedule, it gets blown out of the water because something comes out of left field. So if they're rigid in the schedule, then they're totally lost and adrift when they, they don't have the flexibility to pivot. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. school in Maine called the Hyde School that um, had a book called The Toughest Job We'll Ever Have about parenting. And one of the things they talked about parenting was you're always straddling a line. And part of being a parent is choosing what is it you're straddling. If it is it discipline and you know res- discipline and creativity, maybe, but it's about character development. Knowing that you need to know where are you going to put the weight of your foot on this moment. And I love that kind of tenuous balance of sometimes you're going to be you know stressing discipline and 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 guidelines, and other times you're going to be able to stress the motivations. Um, I feel like as leaders, that's where values are so important because if we know our core values as a human being and as, as an organization, we can make better choices in the moment than having to go through a checklist of, you know, what is the process for this? Although there are places for processes that just does, bureaucracy happens to be my kryptonite, but it's, it does help the world (laughs) go around too. So the so the, the the to answer your question a bit uh, or to sum it up, part of what I found was that I was so much into the adaptability that I needed to share a system that was adaptable. So it wasn't just a linear system, but there's a here are the skill here are the tools I use. Rest assured, we have we have tools for this. Now let's hear what your goals are and see where we can, which which parts of the the puzzle we can put together for you. Uh, you went right where I was about to go, which is you, what you, what you did essentially then is you, you think about building a system that has adaptation built into the system. So now the flexibility is part of the system. So maybe the difference between having a schedule and having a system, your schedule is hardwired and might have to change your system. Your system is such that you can make those changes on the go as you need to, and still not lose step with where you're headed. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I just write, I don't know if you know, Kat Cole, but she was the, uh, just stepped down as the CEO of, of focus brands. Um, so Cinnabon and all these yeah. other companies. Um, and she just, uh, at the time of this recording, just a week before she did a blog post kind of doing her chapters of her life. So up until this point. And at the end she said, what I, one thing I've learned is I don't have a roadmap. And as many times as I try to do the roadmap, the roadmap is always, you know, only has limited value, but I have a compass mm. and I can navigate my life's choices and my organization's choices and my staff, the, my direct reports choices through the compass, because I'm very clear on what my compass is. Wow. I love analogies. I love that analogies so and metaphors. Yeah. And so the difference between a roadmap and a compass, uh, I was also thinking, sorry, this is a corny one. Maybe um, I love sports <laughs> analogies, but I'm thinking man to man defense versus zone defense. So like in a man to man defense on in football or in basketball, you're assigned one person to defend. And you stick with that person no matter where they go on the field or on the court. In a zone defense, you have an area of the field that you're responsible for. And whoever comes into that area, you're guarding that area. Interesting. Two yeah. very two very different systems. But, you know, the, the man-to-man, I would call more of a prescriptive um, binding uh, kind of approach versus a zone where, you know, I've got a little, I've got a little room here to move and flow and, and apply my skills and guard what I'm here to steward, for example. Uh, yeah. so I, I don't know. I I'm trying to think in terms of metaphors and analogies, just no, to make it sure makes that sense everybody to me understands. As a non-jock. They had to make JV, like there was varsity <laughs> and JV in high school. They had to make a JVB team for the, the basketball players like me. And they still benched me until the last three minutes of every game. Anyway, <laughs> cause you didn't know what zone my athletic star zone. What's that? <laughs> cause you were like, what's a zone? zone uh no can i talk to that person i know they're on the other team but <laughs> they seem interesting <laughs> oh man that's funny um can i shift gears no oh, go for it i want to talk because i this is a concept i've heard from you before the book came out so i think this is a pre-book concept but you talk about quadrants of leadership mm. and uh and you do refer to them in the book but i think i've heard you refer to them b- beforehand um 
and I'm a little, I'm a little uh, tentative in going into this because it's a, it's a matrix or quadrants and it's a model. And when you're talking about a model on a podcast, it makes it difficult because you can't put it in front of people, but <laughs> like get the book um, and the model's there for you. But um, I love matrices and I love quadrants because there's like continuums and different plate and it's not just a one spot on the line that you exist or, or, um, there's a whole universe of space inside that, that matrix. Um, but you've got a, uh, what, what you call the leader's journey and you put it in quadrants and on the Y axis you have from confident to unsure. And on the X axis you have external and internal. Um, and then you've got the four, the four quadrants within, could you, uh, not to put you on the spot, but could you, in a, in a way that our listeners yeah, could yeah. sort of easily grasp this, walk us through what are in those quadrants and how do they relate to a journey? Absolutely. So if you, so for those of you listening, if you have like, if you just do a picture a quadrant in front of you in the top of the vertical axis is confidence. And then it goes down to unsure. And then the horizontal is external and uh, going towards internal. Most of our leadership journey is on half the map. I call it the map of leadership or leader's journey, but we're only given half the map. We usually start with quadrant one, which is the confident external. When we're given a title, we're given a position and we just do what we've seen other people do. All our cues are external. They're from other people. We've had coaches, mm. we've had parents, we've had teachers. If we haven't, we've seen people or we know how we want to be. Um, and we take external cues to as to how leading works. <laughs> the uh, Some of the, the speakers I used to listen to, well, I still listen to, but when I was growing up, I heard some, one of the leadership coaches or speakers say, if you're a leader and you're, you turn around and there's nobody behind you, yeah. You're just out for a walk. You're just taking a walk. That's right. Uh, yeah. And that's where you're, you're, it starts eating at your confidence. Well, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so used to do that. And that's not working for me. It's what's wrong with me. And so that drops your confidence and it puts you into quadrant two, which is the experiment. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on. Before you, yeah. before you go further, I want to make sure I understand this. Good. There is the word you have in the quadrant there is, uh, observe. is observe. And so is what you're saying here that that the external confidence here is that you are you are paying attention to and putting your focus on what you are observing externally and you're and you have confidence in that so again if there is an external cue if there's a model if there's a framework yeah. if there's another well, no it's actually a person if quadrant one observe is observing the people that are leading okay okay yeah okay and you you just and 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 what you learn in this so each of the quadrants are good um and in a development perspective, what you learn in the first quadrant is who's, who's worth trusting, who's worth following. Cause mm -hmm. not everybody's safe to follow. Okay. Not all leaders are, are safe. So that's one of the things you get to learn. That's mm -hmm. one of the, the discoveries in that. But as you start realizing I'm not wired that way, or there's something wrong, I'm different. It's not working for me. You go to, you slide down in the quadrant two, which is the experiment. And when you keep looking for external systems, external training programs, external um, consultants or coaches, you look outside yourself for answers that are um, where most of the people aren't frankly live their leadership journey. It can, they bounce around from if, on the front of the book, the, the graphic designers put a squiggly mark uh, like a scribble. And that's, that is very much quadrant two for so many people. Cause they, they get, for me, it was getting things done. That book by David Allen. Yeah. yeah. I read the Love book it. cover. Everybody said, this has changed their lives. Right, their life right. is better. <laughs> they have, total peace now because all of their stuff is out of their brain. It's in the files and they have a system for the files. Well, I love making the lists and setting up the files, but I never check them again. Right. That's just not, I just don't do that. Yeah. So I felt like there's something wrong with me because getting things done is, doesn't do it for me. Um, and so then you bump to the next thing. What's the goal setting thing I need? What's missing in my life? Who's got the answer? Ken Blanchard, uh, you know, Mary Kondo, whatever, Brene Brown. And there's, it's not a bad quadrant to be in but it's an incomplete part of your journey. So what you learn there is who, who, how you learn. Are you an audio person, a written word person? Do you learn from hearing people speak like us? Those are all important things about how you take in information. So you start, you start discovering yourself as a leader here because you're experimenting with, you're, literally the name of the quadrant is experiment. So you're experimenting with 
maybe someone else's model, trying different models, but maybe even designing one of your own or coming up with. Not yet. Okay. That's good. You're, you're bouncing into other people's models and trying other people's plans for okay. sure. Okay. Um, and that's, as it keeps not working, that's where the inner critic and that doubt keeps working. Like maybe you're just a bad leader. Cause it worked for the people on the dust. You know, the, the book cover says this was a great program. The, the, the testimonials say that this person's an amazing person or the system's an amazing system and it's not working for you or your organization. It may mean that you're broken, but that's where I really, that's where I believe that gift can be that, that invitation that you're the surprising gift that you're on the verge of greatness. So because so it, that's where you can move into the, what you were talking about, the in, analyzing stage of what is it about me? Is there something about me? Or what if I tried to take some of these things? So from my okay. experience, it was getting things done. I liked the, one of the things I loved about getting things done was writing the list and then what's the next action step? Right. This is the to-do and what's the next action? Or this Always is the project, the, what's the, the next the action? The very next, right. The very next. The very next, yeah. right. Because that helped me to come back up to speed really quickly on my lists mm-hmm. and help me crystallize what do I mean by this, which if I can read my handwriting a week later, sometimes yeah, exactly. that's a challenge. So, um, so that, yeah, analyzes the th- quadrant is quadrant three. And this is where the magic happens because this is where you start looking at the, the system that I've created, which is organic and, and fluid, but you start looking at your hardwiring, you start looking at the stories that you identify yourself with. You start looking at how you do goal setting and that's where, and it's either interpersonal or organizational. And that's where you move up to your, that's where you start rebuilding your confidence and, you move up to quadrant four, which is a confident internally focused leader. And it's not that you're navel gazing, but it's that you're trusting all the stuff we've been told not to trust. You're trusting the soft skills. You're Mm -hmm. trusting the feelings, the intuitions without ignoring the external. So an example for um, let's say for fundraising, there are really good fundraising practices that don't make logical sense. You're supposed to write short sentences. You're supposed to write you know, chatty language, not business profiles. You have to write a PS. Um, it doesn't look professional in air quotes, but it is what fundraising works. It's people to people communication. So it's not just going all internal by saying, well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'm not going to do that, but it's about discovering where's that, where's the tent or where's the creative mix that is uniquely you or uniquely your organization and what is, what is researched and, and chose to be work well and how you operate too. An example might be a leader that's told that they have to do management by walking around, but they're a total introvert. So the management by walking around may help their team, but it's totally draining them. So what are they doing in their life to build in those reserves so that they can recharge and re-energize? So to, 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 for everybody listening that totally got verbal, verbalized over, the four quadrants are quadrant one, uh, observe where you're looking at people. Quadrant two, experiment where your doubt has brought you down. So you're looking for solutions. Quadrant three, where you're still in a doubting space, but you start looking to why does, you know, what, it, it, maybe I'm wired differently. Maybe I have a different thing to offer. And there's a whole bunch of tools you can use in that quadrant. And then quadrant four, where you have the confidence of knowing I'm different and that's okay. And then you know, like where, where your people are that are reporting to you. Do they need to find better people to follow? So if they're in quadrant one, who should they be looking toward? Or if they're in quadrant two, what book should they be reading? Or are they ready for quadrant three? And, and doing some of the hard work that's in there. Uh, I, I'm thinking about the, how this relates maybe to not knowing what you don't know mm. to, to then knowing what you don't know. Yeah. You know, like, uh, to, and then to, to knowing what you know, um, that play that quadrant four, maybe knowing what you know, but a lot of people spend time. I don't know if it's quadrant one or if it's like off the matrix where, they're confident, but they shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, like they're confident, but they're clueless. They, clueless is what I was thinking. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's uh, Nick Nanton uh, was, he's on my advisory board. He's a 16 time. I think it's more now because he won, he just won three or four new Emmys for a documentary he did, but he's a, he's a big Emmy award winning filmmaker, unbelievable documentaries. And, uh, and he was talking about that, how, when people are confident and they have no reason to be, <laughs> I just love oh, that man. phrase. Uh, and we thought about like American Idol, you know, if you ever watch that show and in, in the, in the earlier season and the earlier episodes of a season, they'll have these people come on that think they all can just like, <laughs> they're like Beyonce or Whitney Houston or, you know, whatever. And they start singing and it's just the most horrible wow. sound you've ever heard in your life, but they think they're good and they can't understand why the judges are turning them away. Yeah. And I've seen leaders like that. 
that just thought, I've got it. I know this. I'm the greatest leader. I run the greatest organization. And you look at their results, you look at their person, and you're like, no, it's, dude, it's not where you think it is. <laughs> I don't know. Right. If that's, yeah. yeah. No, that's I don't know part if that's of the on this matrix yeah. or if maybe that's before you enter the, this matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, there's all of a sudden you've taken a two dimensional matrix and added a third I dimensional. I know. I'm players, sorry. Which is, right. No, it's more good. complex. <laughs> that's where that's where the adaptability comes in. But yeah, so I I appreciate that. I I just like knowing that there's, it may be that you are broken, but it may not that may not be the only perspective. Yeah. Um, there may be another perspective of you have something unique to offer and you get to explore that. Yeah, that's and, good. Uh, and I think that surprises a lot of leaders. I think it feels a little woo woo or squishy. Um, I think it's a relief to some other leaders too that feel like I've often thought I could do it differently, uh, but they don't. They they they're not necessarily willing to trust themselves that this is the right way. Cause we've been told not to look at, listen to our feelings. What's the data? What's the research, which is not bad either, but it's yeah. not, it shouldn't be at the exclusion of the other. Yeah, that's right. Worked in concert is better. Well, and that's part of these stories you talk about. So it's stories mm. that we hear, uh, boy, this is external and internal too, isn't it? So we've got the stories Absolutely. we hear from the outside, like, pay attention to the data or, you know, or maybe the opposite, you know, don't pay attention to the data, go trust your feelings, like your instincts are right, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you listen to those external stories and you believe in them. So maybe you're in that observe, uh, you know, <laughs> deal or whatever, but then there's the internal stories. And maybe this is what I heard you saying ha starts to happen in quadrant three, where you start, you start paying attention to the stories you're telling yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got a section in, in the book on this and the, uh, what struck me about it is that, I, and I, I'm a big believer in this, this just really reinforced it. The words we use with others and ourselves matter greatly. Like they matter greatly. When you say I'm not good at something, for example, um, is that actually the fact? Is that really what's true about that? Or is it? you're not comfortable with it or it's not where you get your energy and your mm -hmm. fulfillment. Um, you, you talked in here about sort of rescripting uh, something like I'm not great with names, <laughs> which I think a lot of us can say uh, to rescripting that for yourself into a, a new framework. I'm great with faces. So I'm getting better at names, a more positive sort of framework. <laughs> you also said, don't try this out loud. Um, but <laughs> you sound like a real cocky person <laughs> you're talking about before. <laughs> but I do, but I do love that reframing uh, about the stories we tell ourselves. And that's gotta be a big part of this journey through the quadrants is the story, oh. the external and internal stories we're we're believing and telling ourselves, or maybe starting to question now. Well, and that's one of the huge areas. So that one of the big areas is definitely all about stories. And so one of the I love the internal stories, just thinking about um, why did I just say that about myself? What, what yeah. the, I read a book early on and I, I think I reference it in the book here. Um, it might've been Frank Betger, but it might've been how I raised myself from uh, failure to success in selling, um, or Maxwell Maltz, one of those, one of those books, uh, about how our subconscious is like an internal file clerk and it's just looking for facts to prove us right. Um, and so in writing in the process of doing this, working on this framework, I realized it's like our own internal Google system where we put in an input and our subconscious is just there to find the search results that back that up. Oh yeah, you really are bad with names. Remember that yeah. time you lost that name? Yeah. Confirmation. That so as we start being mindful about changing the, our verbiage, it will, it does what it does. It's like with Google, if you put a search term in, it'll give you one set of results. If you change the search term, it'll give you a different set of results, mm -hmm. the best matches. Uh, so, and I found that that has helped so many people, just sharp, who you probably know, Jessica sharp here in Greenville, uh, has her clients list out just non-judgmentally for a day or a couple of days or a week, list out the, the thoughts that go through their mind on a piece of paper and try not to be judgmental about them. Just try to record them. Mm. And then at the end of that time, look them over and say, you know, and ask yourself, honestly, would you talk to your friend that way? Yeah. Mm. And, and if, if the answer is no, then maybe it's an invitation to be a better friend to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe leaders are, tend to be maybe some your of the friends people need on themselves friends. that I think one of the surprising things about leadership, I don't know if you've seen this too, is staff doesn't understand how hard leaders are on themselves. Yeah. Um, they're usually the first to criticize themselves. They're usually the first to, to, um, to really just get down on themselves in ways that the staff doesn't necessarily understand. It's true in, in the 360 assessments that we do with executive leaders, 
uh, every once in a while, uh, a leader assesses themselves higher in most of the categories than everybody else assesses them. <laughs> but in most, in most cases, the self-assessment is lower than everybody else's in most, in most of the cases. And so wow. the question then becomes, you know, why are, why, what are they seeing that you're not seeing in yourself? What's everybody well, seeing? Well, that's, that you're not so seeing? that's so much of leadership, isn't it? Or life is there's a learning to know when is it that that person's input isn't helpful, yeah. but then also learning it. Like I mentioned with Concord leadership group, if enough people are coming to me for the same thing and they already think I have it, maybe I do. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things for me has been, if I feel imposter syndrome, I'm I've learned to rescript that as not feeling like I have it all figured out, but actually trying to, trying to think about, Maybe it's already there. Maybe they're seeing something that I don't mm. see in myself. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there's a, a saying we use in, in the coaching sometimes when we're showing assessments to people that if someone tells you you have a green tail growing out of your shirt in the back, you you kind of laugh at them and you go, ah, that's really funny. And then you walk around the corner and someone else tells you, hey, man, you got a green tail coming out of your shirt in the back. I don't know if you know that. You, you have a tail. And you're thinking, okay, this is a conspiracy. I get it. It's pick on Patrick Day. All right. Okay. Uh, that's funny. And you go to the grocery store and a couple of people say, excuse me, sir, do you know there's a like a something green coming out the back of your shirt there? Well, now you're going to start to look. So it's like the first time it's a joke. Second time it's a conspiracy, you know, or maybe someone's just blowing smoke. And the third time or fourth time you start listening and going, why do people keep telling me this? Maybe I need to look in a mirror. <laughs> And you know that's kind of how that's kind of how that works. There's a well, and it can be yourself saying it to yourself. Oh, too. that's you true. That's time, right. You <laughs> yeah, say, you start. Oh, to maybe believe, it is true. Maybe I do have a tail. In fact, I maybe know I, I do. Yeah, I'm going to tell I people know. I do. I don't care if they see it or not. Maybe I oh, wow, it. that's true. So there's a book. Uh, oh boy, this is back. Uh, might be the '90s. Might even be the '80s. I don't know. It's been a while. Byron Katie is her name, and it's not Katie Byron, but um, it's a female author named Byron Katie. Yeah. Wrote a book. Um, Knowing, uh, loving what is, is the name of the book. Hmm. And she at the premise of the book is four questions about thoughts we have or stories we tell ourselves in this context. Number wow. one question, is it true? Okay. Is the story we're being told or is the thought that we're having in this, in her case is the thought that we're having, is that true? Like when you say, I'm not good at something, is that true? Question number two is, can you absolutely know that it's true? Mm. And I love that second question because it just, uh, yeah, one more check. Let <laughs> me just check again. Can you know, like, is there, is, are there, is there a set of facts around it? Third question, how do I react? I think this is it. I'm going off a of memory right now, but how do I react when I think that thought? How do I react or respond or behave? Or maybe it's even how do I feel when I think that thought? The fourth question is, who would I be without that thought? Who would I be without the thought? So wow. basically, it's just questioning the stories we tell ourselves, the thoughts we start to believe internally. Some of them might be true. If, if the answer to questions one and two are true, okay, then deal with it. Then it's, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I reframe that or reshape that? But so much of it, uh, when I ask these questions of, of coaches, mm. a lot of it stops breaks down between questions one and two. Absolutely. <laughs> is it, well, is so for, I think about sales, um, sales or fundraising where you're calling up the prospect and you're the, the story you're telling yourself is I'm probably bugging them. They probably don't want to hear from me. They have, they, they, it's been six months. It's probably, they probably don't want anything to do with me. Blah, blah, blah. I realized I'm lying to myself just as much. I, I'm not, I do not know that because I haven't given the person the respect of telling, letting them make their own mind up. Yeah. So, I have to lie to my, I choose to lie to myself positively is, well, maybe that's true, but maybe they're looking for the solution that I have. Maybe they're looking for this opportunity to give a gift. Maybe they're looking for, um, they have been waiting for me to contact them. Maybe they haven't gotten any of my messages so far. So mm. it, trying to give myself, uh, yeah, try, I, it's, yeah, it's lying to yourself that, that positive, you know, kind of Pollyannish sort of thing could be lying to yourself, but the negative is just as lying. It's that one, two, right. is it true? Can That's you right. prove that it's true? And, and really it, it inhibits good things. 
um when when we so many good things yeah we put a governor on ourselves like that restraining bolt that r2d2 had and uh the first star wars well my first star wars movie 19 <sighs> yeah a new hope where it just didn't let him go as far uh we put so many restraining bolts on ourselves that we don't need to all right I, so i i i i i think you're a weirdo mark because you love fundraising first of all <laughs> But, I, but you just like you, you got tremendous respect points with me just now of making a Star Wars reference. So just, just so you know, credit, credit points just went way up when you did that. Um, boy, I look, I really do want to encourage people. And by the way, I want to say this to our listeners, full disclosure here. We, we got on the podcast and before we, before we hit the record button, Mark and I are talking about the book and Mark said, look, I don't want to promote, I don't want to be salesy and promote a book. I wanted to deliver content to the people. So I said, don't worry, I'm going to promote the book because it really is good. I mean, this, the stuff Thank that's you. in here, just like one after another, uh, I, I wish we had more time to talk about some of this stuff. I, I'll, I'll make one final observation about the book. You, you talk about how um, so many things that you hear in leadership is how out of control people feel when it comes to their schedules. Mm. And, and you, there's a whole section in here about the weekly planning and the, you know, focused day and sort of how to bring uh, that. But what I loved about it is it, it pl plays right back into a tenant that we might've talked about, on 20 of the 23 episodes of this podcast so far, and that is personal accountability. We, we are in control. We're in control of our, yes, stuff happens on the outside, but we generally control uh, our lives. The, the, the things that we're experiencing in terms of stress and the environment, they are a creation of the environment we are fostering and creating, at least as leaders. That's a leader's job is to shape that culture. But I just loved, um, I loved that you pulled out this idea of how out of control we can sometimes feel. Um, and just the, the implication of even bringing it up says we have more control than we think we do. Um, if we focus and that's getting into that quadrant four thing. And, and again, may, maybe I missed it, but that's, that's no, what that's, I got. Out, that's what I got out of it good. anyway. So it's just really good stuff. Um, Mark, who were the, who would you say if you could point to one or two people, maybe in your early life or career that, that have helped shape your view on leadership? Cause you're pretty clear about it. And I know you've got a faith-based component to your leadership mm -hmm. tenant. And I know you've got, I know you are a, a fierce champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I mean, these are things we didn't talk about on the show today, but I know about you. Wh who, who would you say are some of those one, again, one or two of the, the leaders in your early life or career that have helped kind of shape who you are as a leader? Definitely my parents. Um, and I, that may sound cheesy, but they, they were lifelong learners who made very intentional decisions every step of the way to an extreme to the point where every holiday was different because we were trying to create new traditions. So there were no traditions ever being created because we were trying to be intentional about this year's tradition. Um, but they, they kind of put it in my head that just because things have been going one way, doesn't mean they always have to be going that way. They saw tra traits in their, their family generationally that they didn't want to pass on to the, my, my sister and myself. And I'm almost getting teary eyed now because they took some hard stands and um, my, my sister and I are a real benefit of that, but I, I hadn't thought about it until you asked me, but that created an environment where I knew I could make choices. Mm. Um, mm. And so that, and I think, I know Bob Grinnell um, has been really influential. He's uh, he was the one who saw as a student, saw a promise in me as a fundraising person, and then as a, an employee helped steer me in ways that would help me to get the right respect within an organization uh, including leaving the organization so that I have the opportunity to come back as not an older student, but as an employee. So I think those, those would probably be two. Um, I guess that one other would be Marv Wilson. He helped me. He was my advisor in college, old Testament professor. And when I went to Jerusalem to live for a year, study five semesters of Hebrew and all, um, he reminded me to, he said, most people I say, get a B instead of an A, you know, get the culture. You're going away. You're going overseas. Enjoy the culture. You're, so driven. I'm going to say, go for a C. Libraries look very similar around the world. Get out and be around people. And that permission giving has helped me to figure out where are the areas I need to give myself permission. Um, and where where are the ways that I might be uh, measuring success in, inappropriately? 
uh, it's not just the grade, it's also the experience or the impact. Wow. So, thank see, you. Those, Thanks for the inviting me to share that. That's well, great. and see the stories we tell, because when he, when he encouraged you to go for the C, some people would have taken that differently. That's what he qualified it. Why don't you give up I on the A there? You, you <laughs> might could get a C. Go for a C, Mark. Go for a C. <laughs> no, I love that. Like, uh, well, you know, we do that with our smartphones. You know, we, we, we take pictures of everything. Put, put it down. And be in the moment. Like we don't yeah. do that. We don't, we, we feel like now everything has to be captured. And so we're focused more on getting the, the shot than living the shot. Oh uh, my goodness. That is so true. And uh, that, that sounds like what, uh, what your, what your leader there was telling you. La- last question for you, man, oh, you got to come back on sometime because th- these are the conversations that <laughs> Look, make we're this. just getting started. This is oh, exciting. you'll, you'll yeah. be, you'll be one of our repeat guests, but the, um, the last question I'll ask is a question I ask everybody. If you had sort of this soundbite, right? The, the, what is the Mark Pittman number one tenet of leadership? Like the thing that, that if, if you had your way, every leader would pay attention to this. What is that top most important concept of, of Lee? I love asking that question because people go, are you serious right now? That's totally uh, what I'm thinking. And I thought, I know what I was, I, I, I would normally say you can do it. Anyone can be a leader. Yeah. And then I would, I would expand shortly on that. But in the context of this conversation, yeah. what's coming to mind is keep commitments to yourself. Mm. If it's professional development, reading a book, reading a fiction, watching a TV show that has nothing to do with work, mm. making an appointment on your calendar to plan, um, may honor yourself as much as you honor the interruptions of your employees, your staff, your customers, your boss, your peers, uh, and know that that's not cheating. That's part of the, that's part of the work of leading. Uh, wow. And people will start, people will start changing their expectations of you as you, as you start setting better expectations for yourself too. Now, see there now, now people know why I brought Mark Pittman on It's because <laughs> when you ask him for one, he'll give you four. I love it. I love it. It's hard to narrow it down to one, but those do all relate, Mark. This boy, this is a rich conversation. Uh, I certainly can can feel and sense, as I already knew, uh, the authenticity around who you are as a leader and what you bring. It, it boy, does it come out loud and clear. Uh, Mark, give us the website. I'll I'll make sure that it's on the podcast page. But give us the website for people to turn to to learn more about Concord and particularly about this book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt. They can go to surprisinggiftofdoubt.com and it will lead them right to the page on Concord Leadership Group with all the pre-order or order information and all the other stuff. So it's surprising, not the surprising, but just surprisinggiftofdoubt.com? Many of the misspellings and other words will also direct you there. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> I, told that's, you, I, I get a lot of URLs, but yeah, surprisinggiftofdoubt.com. <laughs> all right, awesome. And uh, the book is available for pre-order, so, so get it. And it really is good. Thank you, Mark, for sharing the book early with me because it, it was a real gift first book of, uh, of 2021 for me. And what a great way to start a new year. And thanks so much for being so generous and sharing so much amazing stuff with us today. Can't wait to do it again. Well, thank you. This has been a real pleasure to be here and, uh, I feel enriched for the conversation. So thank you. We always do. All right, folks, we'll see you here next week. Uh, in the meantime, lead on. Lead on.